0: listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally.
1: Today featuring Tammy Chen, BMO's cannabis analyst, about recent developments in the U.S. cannabis market and the outlook for changes in federal law given the election results. My name is Camilla Sutton, MD in equity research at BMO Capital Markets. Tammy, let's kick this off with a big, broad question for you. Can you explain the current U.S. cannabis market?
2: Sure. Thanks, Camilla. So the U.S. cannabis market is quite a complicated landscape. At the federal level, cannabis is illegal in the US, but due to memorandums, the most notable or well-known one called the Cole Memo, issued under the Obama administration, the Department of Justice has essentially deprioritized the federal enforcement of cannabis. As a result, over the last several years, a number of states have chosen to legalize cannabis. At this point in time, there are 36 states that have legalized medical cannabis, and of those 36, 11 of them have also legalized recreational cannabis. In terms of the market size, in 2020, so last year, according to cannabis data firm BDS Analytics, the legal U.S. cannabis market was about $16 billion in total addressable market, one-sixth. But we know only a portion of those 36 states are operating at what we call, quote unquote, full steam, so fully legalized, including recreational. Many of those 36 states are still ramping up, and most have not legalized recreational, which is obviously a much bigger opportunity than medical. In 2018, we at BMO did a total addressable market or TAM analysis. And at the time, we estimated that the U.S. market assuming all 50 states legalize recreational and medical, could be a $60 billion market, 6-0. So there's quite a runway of potential ahead. In terms of the regulatory structure, there are a few key things to note. First, cannabis cannot cross state borders. So as a result, what this means is full supply chains are needed and need to be established in each legal state. Another key thing to note is that many of the states that have recently legalized over the last year and a half to two years are what we call limited license states. And what that means is the state government only issues out a certain number of licenses for grow, what we call production, and for retail, essentially the dispensary stores. In addition, one last thing to note is that some of these states, like Florida, which is legal medical right now, require companies in that state to be fully vertically integrated from production or grow all the way to retail sale. And that is, in a nutshell, the U.S. cannabis market.
1: Okay, good. So a large market with lots of complexities to it. So tell us, what does the incoming Biden administration mean for the U.S. cannabis market?
2: So in terms of Joe Biden himself, in the past, he has not been very supportive of reforming cannabis law. But he's recently begun to change his tune. I think, generally speaking, the view is that having a Democratic president signals better odds of cannabis law reform, especially at the federal level in the U.S., than a Republican president. But really, I think the most important element or consideration for U.S. cannabis law reform is what recently happened in the Senate.
1: Makes perfect sense. So let's dig deeper there. Specifically, what are the implications now that the Democrats will take control of the Senate?
2: Yes, so it's a big development. So what has happened in terms of U.S. cannabis law at the federal level so far is before the holiday recess, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a cannabis bill called the MORE Act, M-O-R-E Act. If enacted into law, the MORE Act would remove cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. I'll explain the Moore Act in detail a bit shortly, but I want to stay here on the implications now that the Democrats have taken control of the Senate. So back in early December, BMO hosted a webinar with two subject matter experts, and both of these speakers were very clear. They said that as long as the Senate remained Republican-controlled, the Moore Act, or really any other reform for cannabis law at the federal level, would essentially be quote-unquote dead on arrival if introduced in the Senate. So now that the Democratic Party has taken control of the Senate, the outlook for cannabis law reform, including the MORE Act, their likelihood or odds of passing in the Senate looks a lot more promising now than it did before.
1: So a step forward, but what about timing and next steps? Can you give us some of your thoughts there?
2: Sure. As is with trying to predict government timing of legislative changes, The timing really is impossible to predict, but here is what we know, or what I think investors should understand and expect. So first, the MORE Act has to be reintroduced into Congress, because any bill that isn't fully passed into law before a holiday recess needs to be reintroduced in Congress in the next session. And obviously, the MORE Act was not passed into law, it was just passed in the House before the holiday break. And so now it needs to be reintroduced. As part of this reintroduction, it's likely that there will be more debate and possible revisions to the bill as it goes through Congress in this coming session. In addition, when we take a step back, Congress is facing a number of issues, some of which are more pressing than cannabis, specifically the ongoing COVID pandemic. So I suspect cannabis law reform is probably on a lower priority level than, say, COVID. And so overall, I think it will take some time for any actual passage of bills that specifically address federal cannabis law. I think just because the Democrats have taken the Senate, which is a big milestone, I think investors should not assume that within a few months we're going to have big changes in U.S. federal cannabis law.
1: Fair enough. So it will take some time. But can you walk us through what will happen if the MORE Act is passed? Is it federal legalization or something else?
2: Sure. So the MORE Act, if it is passed into law, it is not federal legalization. But I find many people erroneously think that that's what the bill does. When people say federal legalization, what that means is that all 50 states are now legal for cannabis. Passage of the MORE would not do that. It does not force states where cannabis is currently not legal to legalize those states still have to choose on their own if they want to legalize or not. So the MORE Act passing would not force them to all of a sudden become legal. What the MORE Act does, if passed into law, it removes cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. So actually, the correct technical term here is federal descheduling. It makes cannabis no longer federally illegal, but it also doesn't make cannabis federally legal. It does, however, allow companies that previously could not enter the U.S. cannabis market due to the federal illegality to now be able to enter. So, for example, Canadian cannabis companies, as well as big alcohol, tobacco, or CPG, if they should so choose to. And should these companies choose to enter, they must only be able to enter and operate within states that have legalized cannabis.
1: It is such a complicated landscape.
2: Could this change over the long term? That is a big debate in the industry. So right now, as we noted earlier, the supply chain in the US for cannabis is state by state. The way to think about it is it's almost like every state that has legalized is its own country with its own rules. And cannabis products cannot be transferred or moved between state borders. So each state must be supplied from production facilities within that state. And the distribution, i.e. sale of cannabis, is only permitted through legal dispensaries. Now, there are some industry participants that believe over the long term, there will be interstate travel of cannabis products. If that were to happen at some point down the road, the argument put forth is that it could be pretty disruptive for the state-by-state infrastructure that's been already put into place by a number of the currently operating U.S. cannabis companies. In our December webinar, both speakers discussed the role that federal bodies like the DEA, the FDA, the Department of Commerce, etc., would or should have upon any passage of the Moore Act. Now, the view of both speakers is that because it is federal descheduling, these federal bodies will likely need to develop a position and standards upon any passage of the Moore Act. But as we've seen with many things that federal bodies need to develop entire regulations on, this could take a while. It's also important to note that we need to monitor the MORE Act's progress through Congress this time round, because as I mentioned earlier, it's possible that revisions could be made within the bill that may impact the supply chain and might actually allow interstate commerce. So that's another thing to keep monitoring. But as of now, in its current form, if the MORE Act is passed, say, tomorrow, it's very likely that it'll be business as usual on a state-by-state basis for these U.S. cannabis companies for some time because federal bodies need time to establish their position and their standards.
1: So you mentioned 36 legal medical states, 11 of which are also legal recreationally. What's the outlook for more states to jump on that bandwagon?
2: I think there's pretty good momentum at the state level. And I think the best example of this was what had happened recently. So concurrent with the US election on November 3rd, five states also had ballot votes to their citizens asking if they wanted some form of legalization, whether it was medical or recreational or both. And these five states were Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, Mississippi, and South Dakota. And among those five states, historically, Mississippi and South Dakota Tended to be red states or you know leaning towards Republican in terms of the citizens who are there, and the fact that these two states had cannabis reform ballots and had passed, so the citizens had voted for some form of legalization, really showed to many that the momentum for cannabis legalization seems to be quite a bipartisan issue that has bipartisan support. I think there's validity also to the argument people have put forth that states are looking for more sources of tax revenue, and legalizing cannabis is a potential avenue for that. And I also think there is validity to the domino argument, which is saying that if a state pursues legalization, neighboring states around them may feel that pressure to legalize as well, to avoid leakage of tax revenues, first and foremost. And we're already seeing that happen now. So Andrew Cuomo is out there already saying that New York intends to pursue legalization He wants to do it this year. It might be a bit longer than that, but it's on his priority list. And this is coming after New Jersey voted for legalization on that ballot vote in November. And I recently saw that Connecticut has also signaled interest to legalize, which is also a neighboring state to New York.
1: So right now, there are Canadian-based cannabis companies. And in the U.S., there are U.S. cannabis companies. At a high level, what are the implications for both groups if the Moore Act is passed?
2: I like to look at this question in two aspects. So first is business fundamentals and second is stock valuations. So on business fundamentals, if the More Act is passed, it would allow Canadian cannabis companies or licensed producers or short form LPs to enter the US cannabis market. And now this would be a positive for them because the US cannabis market is just so much bigger than the Canadian market. But it takes a lot of resources to have a good shot at the US market, because the Canadian LPs would essentially be coming in as laggards versus the US companies that have already developed to some extent, infrastructure and brands on a state by state level. For US companies, I don't think the more act has much of an impact as it would for the Canadian LPs. As we've discussed earlier, for the most part, I expect it will be business as usual for them until there's more clarity and more progress at the federal level in terms of regulations on things like potential interstate commerce or not, and distribution channels. Secondly, on stock valuation, I think passage of the more active that were to happen, I think it would be negative for Canadian LPs, stock valuations, but positive for the US cannabis companies. And what I mean by that is, historically, the valuation for Canadian LPs, have been at a premium to the American cannabis companies. And a big reason for that is many investors cannot deploy capital into what are technically federally illegal businesses. But if the MORE Act were to pass, investing in a U.S. cannabis company would no longer be illegal. So I think there will likely be a flow of capital or funds flow moving from Canadian LPs to the U.S. companies. So right
1: now, Canadian LPs cannot enter the U.S. cannabis market directly until it's no longer federally illegal. Is there anything they can do to position themselves ahead of that? What do you think is the most competitive strategy to tackle the U.S.?
2: You're right in that the Canadian LPs cannot directly enter the U.S. cannabis market unless they want to delist their stocks from the major stock exchanges. Because the major stock exchanges will not list companies that are operating in technically federally illegal businesses. So Canadian LPs cannot directly enter, but they could try to establish a what we call kind of back way into the market to establish themselves ahead of a triggering event, which would be the more act. So, what I mean by that is we think the strategy that would provide a Canadian LP with immediate and direct exposure to the US cannabis market upon a More Act passage is a strategic relationship with a US cannabis company, whether that's a strategic investment that becomes an investment upon the More Act passing or an outright acquisition of the US cannabis company upon a MORE Act passage. Our view on this is because, as we've said earlier, we think It'll be business as usual for some time for the U.S. cannabis companies after the Moore Act passage. And a Canadian LP would be kind of fighting it quite an uphill battle, trying to win production and or retail licenses in those limited licensed states on their own when some of these U.S. companies are already quite a ways ahead. Now, I do want to make it clear that this strategy is likely not available or feasible to all the Canadian LPs because, first of all, the LP needs a lot of capital. And capital has become harder to access without accepting very tough, very dilutive terms. Second, going back to our previous discussion on stock valuations, if we are right about funds flow and valuations go up for U.S. cannabis companies upon a more act passage, then from the perspective of U.S. cannabis companies, they may not want to enter into a strategic relationship with a Canadian LP because they may feel that it could risk their valuation upside. And lastly, I want to make this point clear, because I get this question a lot. Investors look at the Canadian market and see big oversupply. Canadian LPs have overbuilt to the market size. To be clear, Canadian LPs cannot import cannabis from their Canadian facilities to supply legal recreational states. United Nations treaties prohibit that. Canadian LPs can, however, import cannabis from their Canadian facilities To supply legal medical demand but you'd probably have to get permits on a batch by batch basis for cannabis to cross country borders for medical purposes and I say that because when I look at other geographies like Germany that import medical cannabis that's basically how it works so you can imagine getting permits on a batch by batch basis not a very efficient supply chain or supply source and usually In states that have fully legalized both medical and recreational, it's usually the case that recreational demand or the recreational market size is the lion's share and much bigger than the medical market.
1: Tammy, thank you. We've covered a lot of ground today on a really important and developing topic for markets. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you tune in again to BMO Capital Markets Equity Research In Tune podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmo.capitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public disclosure.